It is. It's got some cute, obviously. Yeah. So it's got I'm some right plasma-ish things to it. Maui kit. Uh-oh. Boo-ho! It's got boo-ho! Yeah, boo-ho. <laughs> it does. It's got a lot of those Maui apps. Ah, Joe. Sometimes. Sometimes. So the VM for me was a, was a, um, it was a stopgap because I was like, well, I'm going to get a device eventually, but I, I kind of want to just have PFSense now. So mm-hmm. I went ahead and did it. And then it, I, I migrated off when I got a device, but I'm, it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't bad. I'm running mine on an ancient Athlon X2. Yeah. I mean, but that's fine enough. Oh, it runs right? fine. Like, but it's ancient. Yeah. The, I guess the one thing that would, that would bug me about that is that it wouldn't support some of the uh, encryption algorithms natively. It does not do encryption algorithms, right. but I'm not using the VPN. Oh, see, then it wouldn't matter. And I wouldn't use the VPN on it anyway. I would pass that through to, like, Wirecard or something. This is why I like Linux, by the way. Mm -hmm. And this is why why I'm upset with the GNOME folks and LibHandy and LibAdwaita. Because the whole reason, um, well, I guess one of the catalysts for me in enjoying computing in the first place was that I had so many choices for themes out of that stupid pack. Oh, yeah. And And then years later, I come to find out that Linux just does it. By like there, there's no restriction. A hundredfold, like a hundredfold, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and now we come up to a situation now where it's, uh, you know, hey, it's every color you can have it in every color you want it. You can have it in every theme that you want it as long as it's libidwaited. Coming up on this episode of Linux User Space, we're going to have some beta banter, hybrid packaging feedback, and Snapzilla Watch. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. And I'm Leo. And Dan, you don't do, you don't do beta stuff. No, you you I'm, never, ever. I'm running beta now. What? I, what, do you, what do you mean? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm testing it. Like, I'm in it to win it. Dog fooding, as they say, huh? I am. Yeah. Okay. Let her rip, Tater Chip. Hey, ah, 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 yes, I asked you to say it. I didn't know it. Oh, and then I also said I love it when you surprise me. And then, oh, there it is. It's such a, it's the best. That's the best. So, yes, betas, 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 and more betas. Uh, We'll talk about it in a little bit, but I've been uh, using Ubuntu 2110 beta with GNOME 40. Nice. Dan, what have you been beta-ing? So, I'm on Lubuntu. Surprise, but I, Surprise. I've got, uh, you know, LXQt 0.17. And so I'm, I'm on the latest release of uh, LXQt, which will be coming out soon in, in uh-huh. when Ubuntu releases on or roughly the 21st of October oh. here. And uh, that's that's not too far away. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's coming up really quickly. So I think, um, so yeah, my motivation for being on the beta was a little bit, you heard in the the, the intro, Snapzilla Watch. That Snapzilla. will become a bit more apparent in a little bit, though you probably already know what we're going to talk about. Um, that and just 
generally, I wanted to see what Ubuntu was going to be able to do with GNOME 40 because I felt mm -hmm. like there was a huge speed increase in Fedora going from 33 to 34, which brought with it GNOME 40. Okay. Um, because I, I feel like on the laptop that I'm using for all of my weird distroness, um, GNOME has always been a bit subpar as far as animation goes, as far as all of that stuff goes. But I've been very I was impressed with Fedora 34 and how well GNOME performed. It was still a little rough edges, but I mean, Ubuntu took that, I think, and just added just a little bit of extra seasoning oh, nice. to it. But I, I will say, Pop has the most performant GNOME of all of them, and it, it hasn't even hit GNOME 40 yet. Right. So their 3.38 was the most performant of all of the GNOMEs, including GNOME 40. So Okay. Um, so what, what, is there anything particular that you've been testing on Lubuntu, something that you've been waiting for? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of bug fixes, I think, that, uh, I think are coming in. I don't know if there's anything that I was in, I was in particularly waiting for. One of the things that is, is happening, happening for folks is, is becoming a little more, uh, window manager agnostic, which oh. it always has been. And so those of, you know, those are the folks that use OpenBox as their window manager. Um, the default, you know, settings change. So that was one of the things we had to kind of work out in, you know, getting that tested and making sure that new people got the right configuration for their OpenBox stuff. Mm -hmm. Or else your window borders don't look right. And, right. you know, the hotkeys and stuff don't work right. And those sorts of window manager things just don't so work a, the way they're supposed to. So th this, this fixed a lot of that look and feel stuff, the stuff that yeah. it's hard to explain, I guess, but it just, it doesn't look right. It doesn't feel well, right. So this takes care of a lot of that stuff. It doesn't, it didn't really change that. It just, it took the, so the way it was working before was LXQ was aware of your settings and, and whatnot and in open box. And now it doesn't care. Which means oh. it's not source. It didn't source the same settings file. So we had to do some testing there to make sure that we put the right settings in the right place and that sort of thing. It still looks and looks the same for everybody. Hopefully, that's the idea. It was like we didn't right. break anything. Yeah, exactly, but, exactly. Right. But that's the newest thing for us. Uh, there's some other fixed things too. I think uh, you know, um, just little stuff. Um, I want to say like you know, SMB share things work a little better in the file explorer that's pc man fm yeah pc man fm qt um Q oh, right and Gotta get that part right well you know um little stuff like that that and and um not this release but the one before there was some uh things to make the theming color you know the coloring and stuff you could do custom theming and coloring a little bit like you can in Plasma, you can set your accent themes and, and stuff. You can right. do that now in LXQ as well. So Did you say Libidueta that you can do theming? It's not Libidueta. No. Oh, mm -mm. oh, sorry, I heard that wrong. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I I I jest. Mm -hmm. But I've seen some of the um uh to 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 go off on a tangent, right? I've seen some of the ability that developers now have to add I guess, color accents, and mm -hmm. there was one, and I cannot remember which of the blog posts I saw this on, but it was one of the GNOME devs, 
and they were kind of explaining what you could do with Libid Weta. Mm-hmm. And there were some fully colored gradient apps mm. that looked absolutely fantastic. I don't know. Was that using LibHandy? Or, I mean, I don't know how was, that works it, in GTK. As far world. as I understand, it was GTK4, LibidWeta. It was the new stuff. Okay. I mean, it was, you know, that conversation I that's do. been going on for a long time. I do. It is that, the new stuff. Okay. But I guess the uh, the issue that folks don't like is that it's a, you don't control it as a user. Right. The dev gets to control it, and they can they can ensure that it looks that way everywhere. But uh, just the, the the fact that it looked fantastic is really what struck me. It does make me a little sad that I can't go in there and just, you know, yank that out and yeah. put whatever I want to in it. But, I mean, eh, I don't know. There's good arguments on both sides. But sure. uh, I guess a lot of that is cemented in GNOME 41, which shows up in Fedora 35 beta. Yeah, Fedora mm. has got the beta going on. Yeah. <laughs> yes, another beta. And I'm excited for this one because I wanted to see – um, you know, we were talking about it before the show, but GNOME 40 was the big heavy lift in yeah, GNOME 40 was, was the move change. to GTK4. Yeah. Right. A lot of work gone into that. And GNOME 41 now is less drastic changes and more refinement uh, coming from all of that heavy lifting in the prior mm-hmm. release. So I'm excited to give Fedora another shot, mostly because I just love ButterFS on uh, on root, to be well, honest with you. But and, and they keep tweaking that a little bit too, and making some improvements mm-hmm. there too, because I think they're they're making you know all of you know your sub volumes and stuff. I think they were working on some some stuff along those lines, like making mm-hmm. the sub volumes work the way you think you want them to work too. Right, exactly. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I. I've been focusing on Ubuntu because I I tend to work mostly on a Ubuntu base, mm-hmm. so I like yeah, to same. see what's coming, and uh, especially the kernel, right? The new kernel that comes down is what I really get to yep. um, enjoy. But I do like to go dab a little bit in Fedora as well, to especially because you get things like Pipewire, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They're, they're, Those, well, we've talked about this before. They're sort of a bleeding edge sort of mentality, if you will. Oh, it, see, I I saw at least uh, as far man, as I, they're they're doing the changes it, it may not be like arch you know rolling getting the latest thing right but they are rolling out with some of the latest configuration changes faster and before everybody else so it's nice to see how that works <laughs> if it does work <laughs> I, I saw uh matt on twitter lament mm-hmm. the fact that uh bleeding edge is uh is a phrase that is uh kind of attached to fedora and i mean i get it i totally do but they're lead, I think leading edge is maybe more appropriate, not bleeding edge, right? That, I think, is what he was vying for. I want to eat my words on that one. I want to call it leading edge because they do. They affect the change for not just Fedora. Other distros as well often follow suit with this, and Arch is included in that. We talked about that when we did our Arch episode. Yeah, not, not only was it that, um, that that Fedora has the same stuff that Arch has about the mm-hmm. same time. That that wasn't even it. Fedora had it before Arch. Yeah, at had least it. implemented before, right? Not that right. they they had it. They had it implemented even. So it's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So oh man, in a, in some sense, Ubuntu is going to follow the same suit, right? Because you know, GNOME forty one is going to be in Fedora thirty five. So they're going to take note of the things that work and don't work and. Maybe make it better, maybe make some changes. I mean, so following behind that is not necessarily a bad thing. 
Um, but it's kind of cool to watch Fedora take off and, and lead with it too. Yeah, I like uh, I liken to Fedora as a time machine, mm-hmm. a fairly stable time machine. Sure. If you want to see where Linux is going to be in about a year, just go get on the latest Fedora. And the, I mean, whatever you see in Fedora, that'll that'll have trickled down everywhere. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you want to see it, if you want to see it in real time, go test out the Fedora 35 beta with GNOME 41, because that's likely what every other distro is going to have in about six months to a year. So get on that train if you want to see it. Yeah, there might be some edges that get filed off or whatever, you know, somewhere else. But, you know. You mean rounded corners? Listen, sure. I thought you weren't on Windows 11. No. <laughs> so another thing that's in beta, is, well, actually, it's now made it to release candidate, is MX Linux. Yay! And so that's, like, not necessarily leading edge but a very stable and comfortable distribution for a lot of folks. And so they've got, you know, KDE Plasma, XFCE, and, uh, you know, uh, Fluxbox is the other one they have, which you don't Fluxbox. see a lot. Fluxbox. I know, right? You, 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 yeah, you really don't even hear it come up in conversation very much. When you, when you have those polls where it's like, well, what is your favorite tiling window manager? Or what is your favorite desktop environment or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, Flexbox usually doesn't make it to the top of the list. But yet, MX Linux, They've a champion it. of Flexbox. They, they are. Well, XFC is their flagship. But Flexbox is probably a close second, at least in my mind. So I've taken a kind of a liking to this because I installed that, uh, the, the, ARM, you know, Raspberry Pi version of MX Linux Fluxbox on my Raspberry Pi 3. And so because it's a little underpowered, right? You would think that makes a lot of sense. That's not a great uh, system to be running on, but I wanted to play around with it and just kind of see what it was like. So I put it on my Pi 3 and it actually performs really well. Well, I cannot imagine that Fluxbox uses more than like 100 megabytes. All right. So it's like in the 200 to 300 range at idle, which isn't terrible. I mean, that's pretty That's actually low. surprising, though. It is. It's, 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 you know, LXQ is probably the next um, one. And I think we're hovering around 350, 400 megabytes. So this is like 100 megabytes less. But I feel like CPU usage is down compared to just about everything else I've tried. And it's a lot more responsive. And uh, it feels pretty comfortable. Well, that would make sense. There's really not a whole lot there. Nope. I feel like as far as fancy nope. goes. So, I mean, it's it's perfect for something like the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. You know, I don't know what kind of interest there would be in a, uh, if we chose Raspbian or some of the, uh, one of the ARM distributions for Raspberry Pi. But nope. uh, if there's interest, if you care, if you'd like us to do a uh, an episode over Using Raspberry Pi as the hardware and choosing one of the distros that go on top of it, uh, let us know. Yeah. Uh, send uh, us an email or join Telegram and scream at us for a little bit. That's, uh, that's cool. Here's a question. Um, and could you use a Raspberry Pi for a whole month? <gasps> I think you could get close. I think um, probably if you had a Raspberry Pi 4 um, with some memory, I think you could get pretty close, honestly. If I, if I didn't game. Or if, yeah, I, no, if I chose games like K-Minesweep or whatever it is. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, those <laughs> CPU-intensive things and GPU-intensive things, you're not going right. to do. But I just meant, like, your daily web surfing and, and you know, your note-taking and, oh, like, all oh, of for those sure. things. Like, you could get kind of comfortable, I feel like, on a Raspberry oh, yeah. Pi, which is a lot of what a lot of people do. I think so. I think you're right. So, I don't know. 
I feel like that that'd be an interesting experiment. All right, Leo. Uh, first topic that we've uh, we've got coming up here. Um, this is kind of a discussion about packaging, and uh, you know, how should we be getting that? I guess exactly. So this is kind of a hybrid, uh, right? We had um, Hacker Defo bring this, bring the newest blog post from Drew DeVault uh, mm-hmm. titled "Let's Let Distros Do Their Job." Uh, so this is kind of a hybrid segment, right? I mean, where we normally have a little bit of feedback right here or somewhere around here. Um, it it was big enough and grand enough, I think, that we wanted to turn it into more of a topic and just kind of dive into it a little bit more yep. than we normally would in the feedback section. So here it is. Um, this is an interesting one, I think. And I think it pits the old guard versus the new guard in yes. a few ways, right? Because I think historically, Linux has been dominated by the personalities and people that are involved in a specific distro. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That gives rise to a complaint, which is when you go to a website, you go to the download section and you click on Linux and you see a lot of these, a a lot of the the bigger projects have things like, well, here's an Ubuntu one and here's a Fedora one and here's an OpenSUSE one and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, you can see that if you go to like VS Code, you know, download that as the Deb or the RPM or whatever. But the common complaint is that, well, there isn't a, whatever your distribution name is, package available. Right. right? So if that's Fedora or, you know, whatever. There isn't a Solus one or, you know, something obscure. You know, I call it obscure, but there isn't one made for the thing I'm running, right? Necessarily. Exactly. So that's a a hurdle. So... (laughs) I, it, yeah, it absolutely is. I, had, I mean, because the question then arises, like, well, how do I install it on my machine? Mm-hmm. And then I think some people just end up throwing their hands up and say, well, fine, I'll just run Ubuntu then. Right. Or depending on your distribution, sometimes you can run the Ubuntu one on the distribution that you're running or whatever. If it's a derivative and you just don't even think of that, which is entirely possible, you don't know mm-hmm. where everything is derived from, probably. So. Right. You know, unless you listen to this show. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So enter Drew DeVault. Mm-hmm. And his solution was always the the solution, I think. Mm-hmm. Th- this is the what I'm what, what I guess I'm dubbing the old guard because this is yeah. really how it's always been done, which is he says, just leave the tarball there without any distribution specific packages and let the distribution and their maintainers handle the rest. Right. So it gives you it gives you a fallback option, right? I guess when you think about it that way. So if it's not included in my distribution's application, you know, mechanism, whether that's a store or, you know, whatever, if it's not included mm-hmm. in that, then I could just go grab the tarball for anything I'm running and it should work. Right. And so Drew's not necessarily a fan of that particular avenue, but what I think um, I, I guess what he would advocate for is well, go poke at your distro maintainers. Sure. The the people that maintain those packages, go tell them that this is a package that you would like to see them add to their repositories so that they can figure out right. instead of just dumping everything in opt or some other random place to run it, which make, make it a mess. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> which 
does work. You can it do will. it that way. It's a little crazy, but yeah. Right. As you said, it make it makes a mess. Are you sure that all of these things are working right together? Mm-hmm. As somebody that packages those things and helps the distribution to, to, to make all that work, I'm all for that. Or else, you know, what what am I doing? Um, you know, what am I doing that for? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, and it right. is. It's, it's because we want to make the job of getting that application and software easy for anyone to consume. So there's the efforts that go into making that happen and, and all the QA testing thereafter. Make sure you have a good experience so that you don't have to do all that stuff manually. It just handles it for you. And so right. I, I find a lot of value in what he's saying because that's what we're doing. Exactly. So, and I mean, you you take a step back and you realize, I mean, there's like 150 gajillion distributions out there. And there not are. every single one of those distributions decided that everything needs to go into opt. I mean, there oh, yeah. are there. Sure, we have the uh, the Linux file system standard. Yeah, the but, XDG, you know, home, all of those, you know, things exist for a reason, right? The free desktop standards, they exist for a reason. Just like not everybody enjoys having system D on their system. Not everybody mm-hmm. enjoys deciding that that is the de facto way to, you know, distribute files within your file system. Well, I will say so, that the free desktop standard is probably adhered to more than any of the other standards that are out there. Um, so system D. Well, no, but like <laughs> if like free desktop defines all of that stuff, right? Sure. Um, And it doesn't matter your, your desktop environment or window manager or distribution. I think for the most part, most folks follow that. There are some exceptions. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Like people do exceptions to everything. But, oh, they, people do wacky things. Um, but <laughs> I think if you had to pick a standard that's an open standard, it's probably adhered to pretty good. Sure. So, so you end up with, I guess, this kind of trust in the distro maintainers to uh, take the software as long as they deem it, um, you know, important enough to add to their distro or at least add to their repository so mm-hmm. you can get it on your distro. You know, trust them. They'll take care of it. They'll yep. QA it, make sure that it works right. That's the idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so a comparison was made, right, between the Debian repositories versus something like Flatpak would be what we would be most familiar with. But, you know, to be honest with you, most people that run Linux tend to run Google things, so Android in general. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, also liken Flatpak to Google Play, which is kind of those open stores where you yeah. just publish everything to and then it just goes to everything regardless of what the distro is or whatever. As long as you can install Flatpak on it, you know, the end, right? Right. But his uh, his argument there is that uh, a lot of those, say, you know, Google Play, Flatpak, uh, Snap, things like that, end up with, if not malware, just generally bad software. Not yeah. everything is bad, obviously, but stuff sneaks in, right? Because those they're generally open systems where you can yep. publish what you want. So, you know, as as a, comparing that to the Debian repositories where everything is tested and everything has seen some eyes, and well, it and- is meant to you know, go in with the actual Those system, are very right? curated and lots of testing and uh, like Debian is oof, that, that those standards are probably harder than most, uh, most any distribution, probably, probably some of the hardest. 
Right. And I think, you know, everybody else downstream really benefits from that. I I Uh, can't argue. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I guess that right there, that that particular point that he made really resonated with me because it's the exact same reason that I have the stance that I have regarding where I get my software from. Mm -hmm. And that stance is. Well, use whatever the official people say. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's Bitwarden, well, guess what? I'm using the app image because that's the first thing on their list yep. to use. And now, um, you know, and, and I'm foreshadowing a bit, but now I really have to consider adding Snap to things mm-hmm. because Mozilla is publishing this Snap yep. of Firefox. Yep. But going back to Bitwarden, Bitwarden also publishes the Snap. Right. And so they do both, and the, the, but they're both theirs. And so mm-hmm. while they might list the one a little higher on the on the web page, they're the ones that are contributing it. So I would almost argue that both of them are official. Right, it, it, and exactly. So, I mean, if you already have Snap on your system, I would rather use the Snap than the app image because the app image requires that I deal with it. Right, a little bit, yep. It's not terrible, but yeah, I get you. Well, sure, I don't want to deal with it, though. I don't want to have to think about it. <laughs> no, we want it easy. We want to, everything we do, we want to mash the easy button and just make that as easy as possible. Yeah, just please, just give me the newest version mm-hmm. so that I can have the best security and the newest features all the time forever. Just easy, right? It makes sense. Uh, but Drew also kind of rebuts that the, the, the speed of release, kind of what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Getting the newest and latest and greatest, um, is on the end user distros and a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Don't even worry about it. The version that you have is the version that the distro maintainers have decided that, um, you know, is the most appropriate. And, you know, so you have things like Ubuntu where they add the security patches, but not features. Right. So you're safe. You just don't have the new shiny. Right. And that's not a terrible thing, right? Because you know it's going to work. Someone has tested that. You know it's going to work. And if for some reason it breaks, because whatever, and and... You need a patch to to get that fixed. Uh, well, that's what you know. Stable release updates are all about, and exactly. And, and so those things come in and fix the broken or security flaws, um, depending on which it is. And there's avenues for both. Um, and they'll swoop in and make sure that it works, continues to work on the distribution that you're running, on the version you're running, and it's paired up. You know, the like everything is kind of matched, if you will. And right. it's it's a it is a snapshot in time as far as where a lot of things are. Um, but um, I, I guess it's a, and that's what makes it stable, right? Because it, it's set here. We know everything's good and it's going to stay there. And then we don't have to worry about it for six, nine months or whatever. Right. Exactly. So I've, I've seen um, an argument against this that if you do it that way or if you if you just leave it open the developer just kind of you know puts it out there mm-hmm. in tarball and lets yeah. the distro maintainers handle it then you're going to get a lot of bug reports from users on distros that um you know it doesn't work yeah your dependencies don't match and so things break yeah i i get that yeah but i think if you were to do this right the first step is not to go bug the developer the main developer of that software the, your no. first stop should be your distro yeah almost always it should be your distro right and and so i'm kind of on the inside here too because i see a lot of things get reported upstream that that skip right past us never never stopped right. never stopped at the uh, you know our support that we've you know 
taken some effort to publish and, you know, put out there for everyone to see. Well, we know people don't read. Come on. I don't read. They don't. No, no. And I and I understand that. I completely (laughs) understand that. I just I don't know how you break the mindset that um, you shouldn't stop at your distribution first before you move on to the next you know, phase. And then like, if your distribution says, well, okay, that looks like it's broken upstream. Here's a bug report that, that somebody else put in, or we'll put one in for you and you can chime in with all of your, your gobbledygook and, and add on to it. And, uh, you know, and you link them up and your bugs, you know, your bug systems and all of that. Um, but like, how did you, how did, how did they think to bypass the distribution first? I, I don't know how you break that mindset. Right. Well, honestly, you install the package, that package is named this, and then whenever you have a problem with it, you just Google that, and then you find the GitHub repo, Mm -hmm. and then you just go raise issues there. I think that's what happens because it's the path of least resistance. It could be. It could be. Yep. And Mm -hmm. and probably you're clicking on, like, the about or whatever, and and it it takes you off to the upstream project, and I guess there's not much you can do about that. Right. Even with all the information you disseminate, it's, like you said, not going to be read. Exactly. So, but I think, you know, if you were to attack this right, if you were to deal every step of the way, deal with the distro maintainers and Mm -hmm. they can stop these questions that go directly to the developers, that isn't their issue. It's not the developer issue. It's It's actually a a maintainer issue. Right. They can handle it there, fix it there, push down an update and everybody is happy. And the developer has, didn't even have to put down her cup of coffee, whoever's cup of coffee. Right to handle any of this because here's the other thing to that too right so we're always working on a development release that hasn't been released yet and there's still a lot of changes of things and so if somebody reports but now you're talking extra effort even more I know, but effort. like the distro maintainer right so as a distro maintainer if somebody reports a bug on on a current release we can go and take that and test it on the development release that may have a different version or we can, you know, get the updated versioning in the development release so that it fixes a problem, you know, before it gets too far down down the line, if you will. So it gives us another avenue to test these things to know what fix needs to go into the current release sometimes, and that 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 relies on us as the distro maintainers. Absolutely. So that was the original argument, right? Mm-hmm. Where and it's let. Let let them handle it. That's, mm-hmm. that's the whole point of creating a new distribution is yep. so that you can take care of the people that use your distribution. And package management is just one step or, you know, one piece of that puzzle. Agreed. I agree with that. So he comes back again. And this is this is really what sparked it. Right. This is what HackerDefo added into the Telegram group, which is why it just kind of led to this wider discussion where he came back on the 27th of September and said, uh, you know, added on an additional to this, which Mm -hmm. is, yeah, he titled it, Let Distros Do Their Job, which is pretty much what we've been talking about this whole time. But he adds some additional thoughts that that kind of focuses more on the developer side this time rather than the uh it was kind of half and half on the last post but mm-hmm. uh you know focus less on the less on the users so he says developers do not need to go around asking distributions to add their software if users of a distribution want the software they'll request it from their distribution and the package maintainers will handle it within the guidelines of their distro so for the dis- for for the developers mm-hmm. create create good documentation yep be picky 
with your dependencies, which this goes into security and maintenance yep. and all kinds of stuff. And then maintain a dialogue with distro and package maintainers because mm -hmm. these are the folks that are doing the heavy lifting for you and getting your software in front of hundreds of eyes, thousands of eyes, millions of eyes. You know, it depends on the distro, I guess. Well, and, and to add to that, like they're your first line of triaging the bug reports. Exactly. If you don't want all of the static Mm -hmm. Let these people be your first line of defense. That's what they are there for. They can handle most of the low level. Well, this is a distro issue anyway. Right. Kind of report. Because it could be. Yeah, definitely. So, sure. This isn't a one size fits all answer. No, it's not. It is not. I can tell you it's not. I mean, you have you have software that does need to be latest and greatest all the time, and the distro maintainers are not going to necessarily be able to keep up with that. I mean, I don't know, unless you're Arch, I guess. There's a lot of stuff in there that is so fast. It is so fast. I don't know how they do it. It's just it's amazing. It's a lot of people doing it, I think, which helps. And, and so, you know, the bigger your project, the, you know, the, a little bit easier sometimes. You have to coordinate things, but that, you know, many hands make the light work, right? Right. But I mean, if, if I take a step back and I realize I, I didn't do any of this, you know, I tried Arch early on mm -hmm. for a little bit and realized that there just wasn't software that I needed. And it was a lot of work to get it, mm -hmm. it working. And then when we on this show decided to go back to Arch, I realized all of that had been taken care of. Mm -hmm. So what Drew is talking about is embodied in Arch. Well, Arch is a community distro, right? It's right. The community makes the distro. I did not expect going in there that Discord was going to be in the mm -hmm. community repo. It just it did not strike me. I was like, well, I'm going to have to go to the AUR and grab this. Nope. Yeah, it's there. Only if you want like the Git version of some crazy obscure thing, do you need to go to the sure. AUR? Right. And I mean, we're we're dealing with that now with uh, Chaos AUR. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Chaos the chaotic, repository. Chaotic AUR. Chaotic. Yeah. That's what it is. That's the one. Yeah, in, in Garuda. So I mean, right. there, there's additional avenues to handle there that. Are. But I think that's that's really kind of what he's getting at is that the community will handle this, that, yeah. that distro maintainers will handle this, and that we'll come together to make sure that it's a good experience in the distro that's that the you're idea. handling. Yeah. But we've we've I guess as a as a wider community, even wider than just Arch and getting it as fast and you know all the the breadth mm -hmm. of software that we can get, is that there are other solutions to this too, which is Snap and Flatpak and App Image. I'm sure there there might even be more. I don't know, but those are the ones that I'm most mm. familiar with. And uh, he doesn't particularly like that, but I think I like that. So um, this, I guess, is a little bit where we diverge some. I think it fills a gap. Like I like that he thinks that the distro maintainers can handle all of that, but in reality, they probably can't, right? And right. especially when we get down to some of these proprietary things. And, right. And 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 his point and he did make he actually spelled it out. You should forget about <laughs> proprietary things, right? You should just that's yeah. irrelevant. Don't think about those. Forget about it. Yeah. Put it out of your mind. But in reality, that's not pragmatic. And you and I right now, right here, right now are using it one application we're sharing it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're sharing Discord and uh while there is work being done on a open source, you know, alternative, it's not there yet. And it certainly isn't in, you know, feature parity mode. So right. For it, us, it sure this, ain't an easy is, button. Yeah. No, for us, this is, it, it ticks all the boxes, has all the features that we need for the thing that we are doing. And so 
of course we're going to run it because we haven't got time to mess around with a whole bunch of other alternatives. We've made other right. things work, but this works so much better for us that it, it just it saves us enough time that I feel it's worthwhile. I mean, your time is worth some sort of money to you, I hope. Yeah. And, and so you need to save as much as you can. Right. And so he, he links to a talk that I'll have in the, in the show notes of just when developers put their stuff together that they, they really want to pay attention to these specific things because not everybody runs the same systems. Mm-hmm. But um, as long as there's package management, which I guess we would consider the old way, consistency, reproducibility, good documentation, you know, along with a tarball to, you know, chuck it into the distribution itself is necessary. But because there's not a one-size-fits-all answer, I, I guess it kind of leads to anybody that is that is full-on snap, flat pack, or app image, I have to pose the question, you know, because we're talking about this new way and, oh, this is, this is, the, this is the best way to handle stuff. Mm. Can Snap, Flatpak, or App Image, or any combination of the three, be used to build an entire system? And Including like the desktop environment everything. and all of the underlying things? Probably not. I mean, I know some of them come close, but... Right. From the moment that Grub gets a whiff... Yeah, like you can't bootstrap the whole thing that way, right? Yeah, we haven't right. made it to that point. I don't... Exactly. I think people so have tried, I... but I don't think it's... It's just... You got to have something to start with. Right, exactly. And I think that's why package management the old way is really not ever going to go away. Uh, well, okay, maybe I, I can't say ever. But maybe minimized, but maybe not gone away, right? Exactly. There, there are some bits of the base system that are going to be done with package management, the traditional package management for a very long time. Yeah. So while Flatpak and AppImage and Snap are good solutions for what they are, you're not going to rip it out and you know replace traditional package management with nope. it, at least not yet. No, nope, I don't think so. So uh, so we're going to have to. We're just going to have to live in this system or, or in this environment where we just have to deal with all of them. So while I do agree with a lot of Drew's points, I mm-hmm. don't think we're at a point where anybody would be necessarily happy with full-on package management or, you know getting away from snap or app image or anything. And then those that are using or just really love snap and flat pack and app image, um, you know, they're not going to be anywhere without a package manager right. of some of the base parts of the system. So, well, I'll, I'll tell you the systems that we've tested that I've come the closest with are arch based, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, easily got more of the things that, that I feel like I need in, 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 you know, the arch repos than I do anywhere else. And I guess that's the, the, you know, lure to the, that style of system is like, you don't have to hunt around for other alternatives. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if you that's want everything in one place, yeah, yeah. that's arch, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see it. I see it. I, I get, I get it. So to close out the segment, there was another uh, kind of a tangent a little bit about who do you trust? Right. Wow. I mean, it was another another topic that came up out of the same question, and of course, the developer of the software should be trusted, right? I mean, who's just going to run random software from someone they have no idea about, can't vouch for anything? I mean, that's a given, right? Mm-hmm. You have to trust at least a little bit. You got to trust and, the source, but, I, su- I suppose, to some extent. Right, and that that's really where open source helps out, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you can have new developers, but still be trusted because people can eyeball the software, right? Um, 
be, you know, you have to at least, at the very least, trust that they're not throwing XM rig to mine Monero for themselves uh, using your CPU cycles while you're trying to play the open source version of Candy Crush, right? I well, mean, that certainly happened a few times, though, right? And right. all of these, every single one of them that we've brought up in this segment, every single one of them has had at least one of those. Right. So you got to give trust somewhere. Mm -hmm. But. I think there's even more trust, even more than a single developer of your favorite software. There is more trust placed in the distro and their yeah. maintainers than anything else because these distro maintainers, they control everything. They're, everything on your system has been vetted by them. They do. And I can say that they've been signed, you know, with, with GPG keys or, or whatever. And, you know, you know, so the developers have been vetted to some extent and their code has been you know vetted to some extent by other developers and things are signed and it's like very official for the most part at least in the distributions that i've seen and uh you know so you can trace things back i think because you're not anonymous there um and and things can be traced back then typically people are going to be doing the right thing because you, you don't want to get all of the things that you're doing yoinked out of, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you just don't. Right. I mean, like generally speaking, um, so you're, you're going to do the right thing. Uh, yeah. Cause I feel like, you know, once, uh, once you have really stepped in it as a dev and done something really shady, There's no going back. Yeah. Your, your entire GitHub might as well just be nuked. Yeah. Just, you can't unring the bell. All right, Leo, it's time for, Snapzilla watch? Snapwatch? Snapzilla watch? What, what is this? What is this thing? <laughs> what are we doing it's here? It's all of it. It's all the things today. It's all the things. We're, we're just, yeah, we, we couldn't decide, I guess, because, you know, we normally we do a Mozilla watch, which is usually pretty short about some things that, that Mozilla or Firefox are doing. But now we have to do it a Snapwatch because Mozilla has teamed up with Ubuntu yeah. to snap up Mozilla and we're watching that snap and testing a little bit to find out yeah. where it's at. We're going to see. It's it's in the it's in the beta now. Um and so, you know, Mozilla's working on making this this happen. This is the way they think they want to distribute uh, their their software uh, to all the Ubuntu users. So, let's well, uh, well, one of the ways because we've kind of gotten so I, I really like how this show has kind of melded together a little bit because yeah, we've been talking about package maintainers and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff and how Drew DeVault says, well, just publish a tarball and well, that's what Mozilla does. So they pretty do. much everybody that's can take that tarball and do what they want to with it and add it to their distribution, right? They can. But a secondary avenue has opened up in the form of Snap. And so they've been, do they've been producing the Snap for a while now. I, I don't know. I didn't look up exactly when they first started that, but it it's been been a while. They also they switched Chromium. Remember? Yeah. Uh, like oh, I remember. Ago. I'm on Linux Mint. Of mm, course, I remember. Yeah, yeah. So they switched <laughs> that right to uh, be a snap as well. So now now you're getting your open source browsers like the top two probably that are in most of the the Linux distributions. Um, getting those via a snap. Um, and Ubuntu. So the cool thing about both of them. The cool thing about both of them, I'll say this, is that um, the upstream projects are, are basically doing a lot of the work 
in, in producing these. Right. Which is kind of good, right? This is what has kind of enticed me back over to the Snap side. And I don't necessarily dis- dislike Snap. I just think that um, the other two tend to do a bit better job sometimes. So I tend to okay. gravitate toward those. But the fact that, as I mentioned before, if it's first party, I'm interested. I moved away from Snap in general because of, well, you've probably heard the complaints a bajillion times, right? I mean, startup time and theming and blah, 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 right? So the Flatpak tend to do those a little bit better. And it worked out for me pretty well because I'm on Linux Mint. So Flatpak is just baked right in. Still not perfect there, though. Well, of course not. No, yeah. absolutely not. But I also don't use Firefox through Flatpak, even though it's available. Right. Um, some of the things that I guess kind of came across my radar and why I wanted to focus a little bit more on Snap than Firefox on this one mm-hmm. is because if Firefox is here, I want to try it out. I wanted to give it another go and just really see how well things have kind of progressed over the past couple of years, really. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think that bugs me is Snap will do automatic updates. And I think in general, that's a really great thing, especially because I, I, I just mentioned that I want the latest and greatest security, whatever from Bitwarden. Yeah. So yeah, just just redo it. Just gimme, 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 gimme. But if you're running Firefox, you run into a situation a lot of times where Snap will refresh behind you. Yeah. And that will either cause uh, when you open up a new tab or you try to click on a link or something like that in Firefox, it will give you the frowny face. And yeah, it's like, oh, we can't do that. Sorry. Yeah. You're going to have to restart Firefox to be able to, you know, continue on. You will say, oh, snap. Okay, fine. Is that, ah, is that it? Is that the one? <laughs> no, I think that's Chrome. But anyway, same thing. <laughs> right. Same. You know, it's the same terrible feeling you get mm-hmm. when you realize you can't continue on, right? Um, but Snap will do this behind you, and I know that there's an answer to this. I know that there is an experimental feature called Refresh Snap Awareness yeah. that you can set, you can turn on by running the command snap set core experimental dot refresh app awareness equals true. That's a mouthful. Yeah, but that's a lot to write in. <laughs> you can fix it, and it's actually a pretty elegant solution, sure. to be honest, because what ends up happening is the Snap will not update behind you and totally bork everything that you're doing in the middle of everything. Right. But it will give you a notification saying, hey, turn off Firefox so we can do this thing in the background. And then when you turn it back on, everything will be cool. Which is cool. I like that. And I think that's going to be mainstream. So I think they're, they're working to make that mainstream, at least for the Firefox thing, right? So. Well, I think once this, once this particular feature goes mainstream, it'll be available for everything, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it just gives you a notification. It tells you mm-hmm. just restart it and this is the best way to deal with it because yep. it's 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 better than what happens on windows and mac so in, in windows and mac you do like you open up the about page or whatever and it's like oh we did an update you got to restart but it will never restart behind you but you have to go and manually turn off firefox and, and redo the whole thing right. in the snap style with this refresh snap awareness on it gives you a notification and just tells you but it integrates in with the system it's a system notification system, rather yeah. than Firefox hoping that you're going to do the right thing before it breaks, right? Yeah. So I think this is actually pretty exciting because it does things in the best possible way. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm kind of, I'm sad that it's not on by default, but mm. I get it's experimental. But it's been experimental since February 2020. 
Yeah, it's been, it's a while. been a while. So, but maybe this is the impetus to to move that over the edge, and and it's yet another snap to get out there and in the mainstream and get it in people's hands to to be able right. to use. Right. So, so I'm, I'm excited be, because this is a feature that um, that is yeah. mentioned in a you know. Well, we're 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 doing it. We're working on it. And Firefox is the catalyst yeah. to force us to put snap in the limelight. And just fix what's broken so it can be ready. So I've got a question. It's it's a bit of a hypothetical, rhetorical mm. type of question. So Snap is the thing that Canonical Ubuntu, that's their technology, if we will. Right? Right. Why wouldn't they want to promote this? By putting it on these mainstream applications, the things that everybody is using, that puts it right out there where, I mean, unfortunately, everyone is testing it, but. Fortunately, everyone's testing it. So, yeah, you're right. So you're going to get more of the bug reports, more of the problems fixed, more of more eyes on everything um, to hopefully get this thing where it needs to be to make everyone happy. Right. So I cannot in good faith say that the things that are happening on Snap, right, the background refreshes or whatever, mm -hmm. um, don't necessarily happen on the deb, right? It's just that on the deb, if you update Firefox in the background, it's your own fault. Yeah, because you so... ran sudo apt update <laughs> and and sudo apt full right. upgrade, right? And yeah, worked yourself. Right, because <laughs> the the times that I have seen Firefox crash in this spectacular way because mm -hmm. it has been updated in the background, it has been my fault on Linux Mint where I update Firefox and forget to turn it off while I do it. Yeah. Um, but the, the same behavior does come up in the snap. However, you don't invoke this. Right. So there is a bit of a difference there, but it's not like it can't happen if you just, you know, do the regular old, uh, tarball, wrap that up, let the distribution handle it or something like that. You right. can do it. But, um, you know, I imagine the people that are surprised by that are also the people that just mindlessly click update and not really sure what's happening in the background either. Right. So unattended upgrades can do this too. Oh, for sure. Ubuntu. And yeah. I think, you know, and if Firefox it's a, if is it's... oftentimes delivered as a security update, which comes down right. that way. Exactly. So, you know, if you're on Ubuntu, you're probably kind of used to it already anyways. Probably shouldn't leave your browser running all the time. What? The browser <laughs> is the new distro. I know. I'm Dan, kidding. I think, I think, I think we really, we fire up Windows, we fire up Mac, we fire up uh, any, any, whatever your flavor distro is in Linux. And then what I swear, mo the majority of people, will immediately head to the browser. So it's like running a, a, a an entire operating system on top of another operating system. It's just, it's normal now. I think that's just the way that we handle things for some reason. Well, because web apps, I guess. But anyway, my issue with Snap is really not down to a single app. It's, 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 it's the waiting time. And this is what my real intention was with ru was running the beta so that I could really get a feel for Snap. And I timed it. Uh, it's approximately eight seconds to open up Firefox on cold start. So right after a reboot or right after an update, about eight seconds. And, you know, you don't really realize how long eight seconds is until you're waiting, staring at your screen, waiting for a window to pop up. And eight seconds feels like a really long time, though. it, You know, I get it. Step back. It's not really that long. And warm start is about three seconds or less. I think uh -huh. that really kind of depends on the, you know, how your CPU is doing, mm -hmm. you know, what, what the kind of things it is doing. Um, but I think the problem really comes as far as Snap goes 
when the majority of your desktop applications are a snap. And with Ubuntu, it's kind of been half on, half off. You know, calculator was there for a little while. The oh, system yeah. monitor was there for a little while. The Ubuntu store is a snap. Firefox is a snap. But when you, over time, you accumulate these softwares, you know, OBS is one that I use a lot. Yeah, me too. And and you 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 just tend to gather up these applications. And if you're if you're like a normal user, you didn't really pay attention to where it came from. You don't know whether it's from the uh, the distribution repository or if it's from Snap or Flatpak or App Image or do you even care if those things are on your system, right? Um, but you you generate these things over time, and the stars align. And you need to open up six of them <laughs> back to back. And so you open one. You click on Firefox, cold start. And well, you're waiting a little bit. That's okay. Well, now then you go move over. Well, while that's opening up, I'll open up OBS. Well, that's going to take a second. And then you're dealing with video. So in my case, I want to open up Handbrake as well because I might need a couple different formats. Well, I'm going to click on that too. And the Ubuntu store and this and that and that. And then you're sitting here waiting a very long time for multiple applications to open up. I can handle a single eight second app, app mm-hmm. you know, cold start, and that's fine. But when you add these on and stack them up, and I know that it's only one time, but when the application is an application that you don't use all the time, it's likely updated or you've likely rebooted since the last time right. you opened it up. So you're, you're waiting a lot of time for these applications to open up. And I think that that, that is the biggest reason that I have moved to, to Flatpak for the majority of my applications is because that, as it, when, it, when it really kind of adds up in summation, it is really kind of annoying. So it's a user experience annoying, right? But sometimes there's logistical reasons why you might want to not do that, right? Because you've downloaded a Flatpak before, correct? And <laughs> you've seen the size of yeah. some of them. And well, and so they get kind of large because the compression is different. And that's what it sure. all stems to. That's the reason it's it's slow. It's because it's a compressed file system that you're sure. basically uncompressing. And that's what happens exactly. on the first run is you're uncompressing it. That's why it takes so long. And so there's a technical reason for it. I understand that. Um, if you can be patient, it's great. If you can't, right. then okay. You know, but like... And and downloading things these days is not as much of an issue. It's not like, you know, the late 90s when you were doing your Napster over your <laughs> dial-up modem, right? It's not the same anymore. So, like, yep. big file, so. Whatever. Know? Yeah. And I think that's why in, in Flatpak it doesn't bother me. I've got a big disk, so. Right. You got, you got a big disk. You got a big pipe coming in. It's like it doesn't matter. Like, whatever, right? Is that going to be the title of the show? I've got a big disk. That's going to be the <laughs> But I think I think in general, you know, we've gotten spoiled by SSDs, so we kind of expect the really, really quick yeah. open of software. So I've got a oh, technical yeah. question that I don't know if it has a technical answer, and I don't know if it's too costly on the developer side to implement. Mm-hmm. If Snap is aware that 1, 2, 3, 12, 100 applications are launched every single session, is it possible for it to just be pre-cached, for it to yeah. be pre-uncompressed slowly in the background with a niceness of like plus 20 mm-hmm. to just, you know, don't get in the way of anything. But 
you know, this user. I'm not a Snap developer, but I have heard others speak of something similar to that, right? So basically uncompressing that thing, even if you haven't started it. Correct. So that that thing is like ready to go like a worm start automatically for you. Exactly. I don't know the technical logistics behind that. And there may be some and they're probably trying to work, you know, turn turn all the knobs and flip all the levers to get it to, to align. And uh, I don't know what they are. So I think somebody is right. working on that as a solution, you know, to oversimplify. But yeah, I mean, I, I hate yet. to liken it to Windows, but I mean, Prefetch has existed for a long time. Sure. Yeah. And that that's exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. It's getting getting the things that it that, that Windows knows that you're about to open up anyway, because you open it up every single time you launch Windows. Mm-hmm. It just it pre-caches it into RAM, just opens it back up. So, you know, if that is a solution, I think that would hush me up. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I, you know, the themes are not really that high on my totem pole of things that I care about. Yeah. As long as the software runs and as long as it starts up right and as long as it's not leaving me there tapping my foot wondering whether or not I should press the print button again. Mm. You know that, you know that issue, Dan. People just press the print button like 12 times because nothing happened. Oh, I know. But it was, it was a congestion issue or their computer was running slow or something. Next thing you know, the print server is rebooted and, you know, 75 pages of a thesis fly out of a (laughs) printer somewhere yeah i get it (laughs) oh poor you poor you poor xerox or hp machine i'm so sorry yeah exactly but but right i mean it gives a bad impression i think in in general and and i'm 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 fully open to snaps give them to me make them fast and i'd be happy to use them yeah i think that i think there's some things they're working on so you brought up you know like the printing actually so like the file dialogues and stuff like that are and and where the files want to get saved and, you know, the file picker and mm-hmm. all of those things are just little nitpicky things that, that, that come sure. up and they come up with both of them, you know, Flatpak and Snap sometimes. Oh yeah. No, they absolutely do. But, you know, you know, I think, I think, I think that is not anything for me to decide that I don't want to use a particular package management well, solution. It's it's why some people decide though. That That's very nitpicky. It is. Like, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it is a thing. It's, it's, it's. <laughs> sure. So. I definitely agree. I, I'm I'm very uh what uh I'm very picky, I guess. I mean hey, that's a long time, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'm that picky. So no. I guess maybe that puts me in the middle. I don't know. But I'm of the mindset that I can use anything that you put in front of me as long as it works. Yeah, yeah. I'll use it. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'll be hundred percent happy with it, but I'll use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot for me to grumble. So I think I think we've used up most of our Mozilla Watch well, actually we've used up more than our Mozilla Watch time. So there's uh, there's a few things though that I think are um, interesting that are coming down, mm-hmm. uh, and one of them is Firefox Suggest, which this has been part of Firefox for a little while. And uh, my favorite thing, I don't ever have to go in the history anymore, mm. ever. I never have to. What is it like Control H or whatever? I don't know what it is. I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't remember because it doesn't matter anymore. Because I can just go up to the the address bar and type in what it is that that tab I opened up a week ago was mm-hmm. and it'll it'll find it and right. I'll click on that and it'll open up that page that I have long since forgotten so and that's part of this whole firefox suggest thing but now firefox suggest puts relevant suggestions as you type okay all right that's what this cool. means is you know when you type in something into google and it's not really what you were looking for, but Google brings up this thing at the very top and is like, hey, is this what you were talking about? That. 
right. but right there within the address bar. And I don't think it's actually tied to a specific search provider either. Oh, that's cool. So this is something that's actually kind of cool that might speed up your workflow if you're on the web a lot, typing in a lot of things a lot, and kind of trying to just get to what you want faster. Yeah. So you can skip the search engine altogether and go straight to what you want. So the address bar kind of becomes its own search engine. I think that's the way things have been morphing for a while. I'm not a super big yeah. fan of some of these AI thinking for me in the background because, like, I, I still have my brain, I think. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that, that's, that's Google. Yeah, it gets a little scary after a while. Like, I don't want it to get scary. You get put in a search bubble Yeah. where you know, Google thinks it knows what you want. So it's going to go ahead and put those things up top. And what you really wanted was on page four. But I think we have this idea that if you can't find it on Google page one, well, then it's just doesn't exist. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it just needs to be careful with the suggestions as far as needs to be, I don't know, less commercial in nature for right. one thing, because some of those things try to get you to spend your hard earned cash on stuff that you shouldn't. And uh, so I'd like to I'd like to avoid that if we can. Well, <laughs> you can't. Well, okay, you can. You can uncheck the box if you know the box exists. And I'm telling you the box exists. But there are advertisements that mm, will show up in this, in this, this is place scary. as well, right? I mean, Mike, Mozilla needs to make money, right? Yeah, they do. I get it. Yep. So mm. advertisements will show up, but you can disable them. You just go into settings and down where the Firefox suggest thing is. You just uncheck advertisements. I don't want yes. advertisements. But it's about the same amount of difficulty as, you know, when you click on a new tab and it gives you all the links that you've gone to and then like stories at the bottom. Yep. You can uncheck advertisements and promotions from there too. So mm. speaking of turning stuff off, have you not, have you turned off Firefox studies? Is that something that you've left on? Well, I think so. Yeah. I don't know, honestly. I don't go in and turn it off. They're studying me, huh? They might be studying you. There's a there's a Firefox study right now. I'm a pretty open book, so I mean, not a whole lot to study. What? Yeah, no, <laughs> you're you're right. Yeah, pretty much everything ends up on Twitter anyway. So there's a study going on right now of the one percent, and I don't think there's ever a chance that I'll ever be part of the one percent. Not even this one percent, and that is the 1% that Firefox is testing Bing oh. on. Oh, your favorite your favorite search engine. Dan, I'm pretty sure you use Bing all day all day every day, right? Well, honestly, probably the technically I think the back end of my favorite search engine does use Bing. Is your favorite search engine my favorite search engine? Well, it's, you know, DuckDuckGo. Oh. Why do we have so much in common, Dan? Stop it. Because we have a lot of the same <laughs> thoughts. We really do. And, uh, I guess that explains why we're on the same show. But, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if you're using DuckDuckGo, you probably know by now that a lot of DuckDuckGo's searches come from Bing. They do pull things from other places, too. And then you got the bank right. searches, which are targeted towards the thing that you're looking for. And you can actually right. use Google if you wanted to. Exactly. Bang G, right? They right. just bypass all the DuckDuckGo stuff and go straight to where you want. That's fine, too. But DuckDuckGo does, I think, by and large, use Bing for mm-hmm. its search results. It does. So, yeah, this is probably not really news to anybody that's using DuckDuckGo or really any kind of change. But I guess if you're not expecting it, um, your results will be different because you're not in that bubble. But I right. think overall, Bing is actually quite 
usable. Now, hold on. Stay with me here. Don't don't, I'm, I'm don't skip forward four minutes just yet. <laughs> Bing is actually pretty usable if, remember when Google first came out mm-hmm. and it was terrible? Yeah. But it was not bad, right? It was better it was, it was better than like those those meta searches like Metacrawler and Dogpile and stuff were. Well, I thought those but, were okay, but I th- they, well, they were pretty good, right? But you know, this was in Google's infancy when it was really before it took over. Yeah. You had these abilities to, you know, put quotes around things or use pluses and oh, yeah. use minuses and all these other cool little tricks that all the other search engines have now implemented. Bing is like Google in its infancy, and I don't want it to change. Mm. You can actually ask Bing to look for very specific things. And the beautiful part about that is that you can use all of these cool little pluses and minuses and quotes and things like that. But you're also unshackled from your search bubble that that Google yeah. is, you know, well, we're going to push you toward these particular results because, well, you've searched about 100 things related to it before. Well, like Google will have like ads at the top and a lot of them. <laughs> and I hate that. Like I like if I could avoid that stuff, like I know it says it's an ad. I get that. I can scroll past, but that's a yeah. pain. Yeah. Well, not only that, it's a targeted ad. It knows what oh, you know. search, so the ad is targeted toward well, you. Well, even if you did it in a in a private browsing window every time so that it wasn't yeah. a targeted ad, it's still, ah, I just don't want to see that. Yeah. I want to get to my search. Right. So I think eh, it's mostly fine. The 1% that are using it probably don't even notice. But um, if if you are searching and you get the Bing results, mm-hmm. I'd love to know. So shoot us some feedback. If you're if you're part of that 1%, oh, yeah. let, let me know. But there's another search out there that I wanted to touch on really quickly that um, is part of the Brave family, Brave Search. So Brave they don't search, have to yeah. do, they don't do Bing, they don't do Seer or X, they don't, yeah. you know, none of that. It's their own algorithm, their own thing. They don't track you. They don't do targeted ads, none of that stuff. And... I just threw it into Firefox. I just want to see what happened. And I mean, yeah. it's about on par with Bing. So as okay. long as you know some of the cool, quotey tricks, you know, minus tricks, you get exactly what you want. Yeah, I so, feel like, you know, so I use DuckDuckGo, which obviously is Bing-backed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the way I search seems to provide better results there. And I'm, yeah. I'm not just saying that because it's not, you know, doing all the tracking and all of that nonsense. I'm I'm... I just feel like the results are better there. They're better suited to me. And it must be the I, way I'm phrasing my, my search, you know, in general. So I feel like I, I don't feel like I missed anything with not using Google. But that's yeah, just me. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So last thing, real quick, Firefox 93 just came out right before Boom. recording this. Fantastic. One of the cool things is, and it's Windows only. I know. We're going to get it eventually. But it's... um unloading out of ram these unused tabs so that you don't run out of ram that's nice and i mean this is a problem that everybody's been complaining about forever Mm -hmm. right well why why is my browser eating up three gigs well because you have 7800 tabs open right (laughs) but but firefox will go back and these tabs that it thinks that you're not going to be using for a long time is just going to unload them out of ram so the thing doesn't crash yeah that's the other problem yeah so be happy you're not the guinea pig on Linux. Windows folks are the guinea pigs on this one. Mm. And then we're going to get the completed solution once that's all done. Well, I hope it's not like some of the other things that they've been holding out on us. <laughs> 
I don't even use their VPN. Don't even. <laughs> housekeeping. Housekeeping. The Linux community has some fantastic members, and we want to make sure to highlight that. Our showcase this episode has the Linux cast. How about that one? Oh, great, yeah. Great um, content here. And they have daily content as well as a podcast. So podcast very much kind of like this show a little bit, but, uh, you know, very laid back, I guess. A little more laid back than we are, perhaps. It is. I, I feel like it is. It is a conversation adjacent to Linux most of the time. They yeah, have a topic. That's a good way to put they, it. They 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 usually have one maybe two topics and that, that that they'll dive into, but I feel like it's um it's an interesting conversation to get to that topic in the first place, and a lot of times it has to do with Linux, but sometimes it just doesn't, and it's it's just it's just a couple of guys that are having a conversation about something. <laughs> so yeah, no good 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 content over there and uh, plenty of Linux. So do listen and and give it a whirl. Yeah, their daily show, the the daily stuff that comes out on YouTube is a lot more uh, about the desktop, is a sure. lot more about Linux in general or something like that. So there's plenty of Linux content to be had there. Yep. Feel free to send your emails to contact at linuxuserspace.show and we can have a discussion about them on the show. We appreciate all of our sponsors, every single one of them, including all of our listeners. But if you want to join the Patreon sponsors, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Linux user space. Please follow us on Twitter at Linux user space to get all the latest announcements for this show and for things that impact your user space. We now have a subreddit. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So you can head on over to reddit.com slash r slash Linux user space. And there is our subreddit. So my, my intention, my intention, if you didn't skip over the housekeeping, is if there are cool things that are going on in the wider Linux community, in mm-hmm. just open source or anything like that, throw the link over there. If you've got yourself a Reddit account already, you don't need to go make one. But if you already have one and you have a link and you want to hear about it talked about a little bit more in depth or something like that, go post it over there. We might have a quick little chat there, but I think a lot of that stuff I want to take from there and put onto the show and just kind of have a wider conversation about it. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you've already got a Reddit account, go check that out. Go sub there, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you there. Yeah, and I think it can lend into some of the topics that we want to talk about here, so that's that's pretty cool. For sure. We have our Telegram group. You can join us over there at linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram to continue the conversation over there. Or you can hop on over to our Matrix channel and join us in the chat at linuxuserspace.show slash matrix. And if those aren't enough chat platforms for you, we've also got Discord. So you can join us uh, over there on Discord, linuxuserspace.show slash Discord. Hey, if you are on, uh, if you're subbing to us on Patreon and you're on the Discord, you get cool flair. Oh, you too. get some little perks mm-hmm. and you got a whole mm-hmm. other channel there for you that you can mm-hmm. join. Pretty cool stuff. True enough. Hey, we got we got things planned for both the Patreon and that special little Patreon Discord channel, so uh, stay tuned. Yep, we're going to, you know, future Leo and future Dan will be working on that. Lastly, um, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube or over on Odyssey. You can get us on Odyssey. Links to space dot show slash Odyssey. Odyssey!
You can always get more information at our website, linuxuserspace.show. All right, Leo, we haven't had enough Firefox, so let's focus on some app. Oh, we're gonna we're not gonna focus on an app, Dan. This is not an app. This is an extension. It's time to focus yes. on the extension. Focus on the extension of the app. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. So the app is Firefox. I mean, because you didn't hear enough about Firefox earlier, right? Yep. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to go get your Ubuntu Snap with Firefox and then make it even better, better. I have, for the longest time, managed multiple browsers, Mm. and it drove me crazy because I couldn't remember which browsers were what because a lot of times I only log into them like once a week to update the things that I need to update, and then I forget. Yeah, not even just browsers. You have different profiles, and that's kind of a pain. And which one of those do you like? No, thank you. Oh, my God. Is it the Spaceman, or is it the Penguin, or (sighs) is it the... I know. Yeah, thanks, Microsoft Edge. I appreciate that. But here, here's the deal. Here's what I have discovered that apparently everybody but me knew about. (laughs) (laughs) Dan's over here using it for forever. All right. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. It's Okay. Is an extension for Firefox, because why not? Known colloquially as, I've heard it all this time, as container tabs. And so I Google up container tabs, and it has nothing to do with container tabs. But I finally found it. It's called Firefox Multi-Account Containers. <clears throat> Great name, Firefox. I appreciate that, because I could never find it. So It is descriptive, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess. So I found it. I finally found it. I'm so excited that I did. I installed it, ignored it for a week, and then I finally broke down and was like, all right, what is this about? Got to do this. Oh, it was so glorious when I figured out what this thing oh, actually on, was. So, okay. Firefox already does a good job of keeping cross-site cookies from being spread around, right? I mean, whatever, when you log into something or whatever, you create this new cookie jar and only things that are spawned from that particular thing can reach into the cookie jar. So you don't, you don't, you don't lose track of all your tracking, right? Cool. But here's the deal. With container tabs, you add another layer of protection here. Well, and I guess you get a whole profile thing too, but I'm, I'm more of a tinfoil hatter than that. So it allows you to open up a new tab in a separate instance of Firefox, stay with me, all within the same browser. But when, when you see it, it all makes sense. So in, in the video right now, I'm probably putting a thing that scrolls and does cool stuff right now. So yeah, that. It's amazing. It color codes the top of your tab to match the profile that you're using. So by default, you have a couple of different profiles. You have personal, work, banking, and shopping. You can rename these to whatever you want to. Mm -hmm. What I rename them to is, I leave the personal one alone. I rename the second one to Terminal Tricks. I rename the third one to Mintcast. And I rename the fourth one to Linux User Space. And each of those profiles, containers, have all of my stuff logged in. And when I go to like gmail.com on my Mm -hmm. personal profile, I don't also get the 80 gajillion other email addresses that I've logged into in Google. Right. It's isolated. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it's so good. It's, yeah. I used to use multiple browsers for this. I yep. don't need to do that. I can delete them all. I'm so excited. Well, yeah. So, Dan, how do you, how do you use this? Because 
I, I feel like I need to have that little white, you know, cone of shame that says dunce on it because I didn't know about this this entire time. But so how, how do you use well, multi-account yeah. containers? Pretty, pretty much just like you just described there. So Google, the Google's verse is probably the biggest thing that I have mm-hmm. multiple accounts that I don't want contaminating each other necessarily. So tricky. Yeah. So <laughs> I like to use, you know, like you, um, for all of those things, I like to have their own little account containers, if you will, where mm-hmm. things fit. The other cool thing is, um, even like, so you've done that, but I also don't necessarily want all my services like cross pollinating all over the place too. Right. And so I can set up a like ad hoc um container that yes. I can I can log into and it doesn't like those things don't they aren't communicating across the the tabs if you will. I, right. I, you know how they do uh, and and so those things aren't polluting each other. And so I like doing that too. Um more of an ad hoc basis on those sorts of things, but Exactly. Same idea. And so so on that point, you can do Okay, you can do a lot. Mm-hmm. You can actually create a, a a large amount of these containers. But I feel like, and this might be from my inexperience, but I don't think I'm getting rid of this anytime soon, mm. that it seems like you can do about eight separate profiles functionally. Yeah, because I haven't, each, I haven't tried too many, but yeah. Right, because each of these has their own color, mm-hmm. but there are only eight default colors. So once you start having to like reuse that neon green, I feel like you're in trouble because yeah, is, that, are you, is it this tab or this container or is well, it they what, do have names, So I mean, there's that too, I suppose. But true, true. But keeping, I mean, keeping I feel like quick, um, you know, view of what they are is yeah, you're right. That's going to get muddy after a while. Right. Like at a certain point, I feel like you have to have like Firefox and then you, you know, draw it, drag a tab out so you can have a separate Firefox. And then then you can do like two greens and then. OK, maybe I, I try not to get it so complicated. Yeah. I, yeah. Personally, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Right. I just don't have that many things running. <laughs> right. But I only use four containers that that seems to be doing pretty well for me. Pretty I good might have a have a reason to do a fifth, maybe. Mm-hmm. But. Each one has their own color. I can easily distinguish between them all. Uh, none of that stuff, as you mentioned, gets cross-pollinated, cross-contaminated. None yeah. of that stuff. Which uh, is nice. I mean, Firefox already does a great job of keeping tracking cookies kind of contained and all that stuff. cookies down and all of that sort of stuff, right? So that's pretty cool. But this gives you that extra layer of tinfoil hat protection as well as you don't have to, um, you don't, you don't have to worry about well, am I logged in here? Am I not logged in here? I mean, just open up that container. And yeah, you're logged in because cookies and all that stuff. So, man, this, oh. It's nice. I, I like it. I I use it. So I'm already going to tell you, I use it. You don't have to ask. Mm, I use it. Mm. I've, I'm actually unusing other things so that I can continue to use this. Yep. All my browsers gone away. Firefox Brave. I think that's, that's pretty much it. That's cool. pretty much it. All right, next time. Next time, we are going to wrap up our thoughts on Garuda, Garuda Linux. That's what we've been trying out. Arch-based, short history here, so that section will probably blaze right... No, we won't. We don't blaze past anything. We, we talk Look, for hours. We're, we're going to find some way to talk about it for half an hour. Yeah, probably, <laughs> like, right? It's like, going to be some like one-off April Fool's joke 
post or something and we'll find a way. I don't know. We'll find a way. We, we will do something. I'm I'm certain of it. We'll read Listen, from the forums or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. My retinas are already burned enough. We'll 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 just we'll just keep piling it on. Yep. So uh, just gonna say it's been good and been been testing some things out. I actually might. So I I'm I'm doing plasma. I might actually test out another uh, desktop environment here too. Um, just to you know fill my card and uh, I don't know. It's been good. I used to just say it was the blur. But now it's the blur and the scaling. Wow, well, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's got, got uh, that too. Yeah. Pla- plasma. Uh. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for your support. We truly appreciate it. So where can we find you, Leo? You can find me at Leo Chavez on Twitter. And I think I'm going to start cross-posting over to Mastodon, too. Oh, yeah. So I need Leo to look at into that. Leo.im. Yeah, nice. I need to look into that, too. You can find me at KC2BZ on Twitter or at... KC2BZ at Mastodon.technology. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. I was at work you, today, and I totally oh. forgot. <gasps> Did you get those floppies? I forgot my eight-inch floppy. But no. Okay, that's okay. I got we, some five and a quarter right we here. Got, I got they're they're, got they're like right here. Awesome. <laughs> so, I don't know if you can see this or not. Let me oh. see if I can get it up there where you can. Yes, epics. California games, right there. Oh, boy, what is that game? California games. Oh, California games. Oh, my God. Yes. Can I come into focus ever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what that is. Oh, my God. It's a five and a quarter floppy. That's so cool. It's time to go surfing. That's a five and a quarter right there. (laughs) Nice. Oh, I have punch cards, too, at work. So how much? What? You have punch cards. What? Do you have anything that'll read the punch card? No. (laughs) So how how much time did you spend in California games? Oh, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours. I don't know. (laughs) A lot of hours. The game I, like multiple games on here. And the one I played the most was like a skateboarding one. Oh, Oh. my word. Did I ever play a lot of that? Yeah. Was that the half pipe one? Yep, half pipe. Yeah. Yep. My goodness, I, I played a lot of that one. Holy I cow. That one. You know, the one that I ended up playing more, uh, I had access to California games. They had some, um, I forgot where, but the one that I ended up playing was uh, a ski game. I think it was called Ski Free? Could be. Something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, it, it looked uh, on yeah, the level had, with California games. Like, Epic's had a whole bunch of them, but. Yeah. So this one has a uh, copyright of 1987. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so how about that one? That's that a pretty good one. Is it? Yeah, it is. That's legit. I just I cannot get out of my head the ski free where you're going down that mountain and then like the the Sasquatch comes out and tries to eat you. All right. Full disclosure, good Leo. Good stuff. Mm. OBS crashed on me twice. Oh no. Okay. Well. I don't uh, think I missed a ton, but I think I missed some. <laughs>